Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about David O. Russell's Amsterdam. Joining me today, he's inexplicably here for another movie that's kind of about World War One. It's Fred Cobb. Fred, how's it going? It's like the fifth one of these you've done. Yeah, I'm excited to continue our European road trip this year. Uh, we've already visited Prague. I guess we've stopped by in Great Britain for the Kingsmen. Uh, yeah, now we made our way to Amsterdam, which is a very fun city to spend some time in. Or so I've heard. I've never actually been, but uh, yeah. maybe technically this calendar. Te- te- technically, in this calendar year, you also run a podcast about Belfast, I believe. So uh, you've uh, been. Oh, that and... is correct. Yeah, we're crossing off all the big European cities. I love it. Let's see what's uh, on the calendar for the rest of the year. See if we can knock another one off. And this is like such a weird movie year. Like I was thinking about it earlier. Like I, I forgot that the Kingsman movie was even this calendar year. It's like I have like no concept of like of like when that actually came out. But I guess that was this year. I was like, was that this time last year? I don't know. Um, it's been such a it's just like a long year in movies where it's like I've like not watched as many as I have. So you would think I would remember them better, but it's like that's such a crazy year at work. It's hard to like keep anything straight. And but and then now I'm like in this weird backlog where it's like there are movies I've seen like. I've seen, I saw well before Amsterdam. I still haven't done podcasts on, and now it's like I gotta go like back and try and remember those after I talk about the, this. But that is a problem for future Josh. Uh, Amsterdam is about well, I don't know. I, I that's a that's a that's, a that's a daunting phrase right there, Fred. That like that might be our jumping off point for this episode. But uh, it's the it's it's the newest movie from writer director David O. Russell. His first since 2015, I think. Joy, uh, and it's it's it, it take it's it takes place across two timelines, primarily in 1933. But uh, you know, in it, where we see a a doctor played by Christian Bale. His name is Bert. He is he he he's a veteran, and he likes to spend a lot of his time trying to take care of other veterans. But he's also joined by a friend of his uh, uh, in uh, or has a friend played by John David Washington. His name is Harold. Harold uh, is a lawyer and. Uh, at some point, they were they became friends in World War One when they were became part of the same you know mixed race battalion. And the guy that put their battalion together, though, he turns up dead. His daughter, uh, played by Taylor Swift, uh, notably, uh, wants them to kind of look into it. And as they begin to do so, they just kind of go down a uh, they go down a big rabbit hole uh, that takes them into the, a vast conspiracy. But we also, as part of that, get the flashback to when they were hanging out in Amsterdam after they got out of the war in 1918 and where they were both injured. They were nursed back to health by a, a nurse named Valerie played by Margot Robbie. And uh, they kind of form some somewhat of a throuple, but though she's really only, Valerie's really only romantically involved with Harold. They have a great old bohemian time. And then uh, Valerie just kind of pieces out and they pick, we pick up back up again, again, them again in 1933, unsurprisingly, because you don't get Margot Robbie in your movie for something that quick. Uh, he comes back into the picture as do like so many other actors. And we'll get to all that. Fred, my first question about to, to you is why does this movie exist? Like, what, what do you think the purpose was in this enterprise? Because I think there actually is an answer to this, but like, I think it makes itself apparent very, very late, probably too late in this movie. Yeah. So the first question I think a lot of people have is why is David O. Russell still making movies? Because we're uh, at a stage in Hollywood right now where a lot of people like him with, uh, let's call them incidents on their resume uh, that have antagonized a lot of people are no longer really allowed behind the camera. Uh, and he does have quite some stories uh you know, I actually went. I actually went really... back and I actually went back and read his Wikipedia earlier. It is a wild ride before you even get to it's like the, I was gonna say. The, the Me Too adjacent stuff. Like it's, uh, you know, it's like it's. I guess it's a, a testament to how like some actors really like him, and if you get people nominated for Oscars, they'll keep wanting to work with you because he clashed a lot with actors like throughout his career, and like that stuff came back up along with stuff where he like 
may or may not have sexually assaulted his uh, transgender niece. Uh, so it is just like kind of crazy that like that guy could do all that and get $80 million to make a movie like this, though I think it's performed pretty poorly at the box office. So I think it's going to be a long time before we see David O. Russell making a movie with a lot of resources again. That is true. And what's truly bizarre is, I mean, you mentioned uh, that uh, there was some stuff uh, in his personal life that certainly raised some red flags. Uh, but putting that aside, it just sounds like people don't really have a great time working with this guy a lot of times. Uh, there are a lot of stories of just super toxic work environments, uh, him getting into shouting matches with... Uh, Apparently he, actress, he and George actress, Clooney almost actresses. choked each other. Apparently he and George Clooney almost choked each other out on Three Kings. Yeah, there is a story that he apparently uh, assaulted Christopher Nolan at a party uh, a couple of years ago. I had not seen uh, that. <laughs> Amy Adams. Yeah, so that's another story that's out there. Amy Adams has given a lot of interviews uh, saying that she was absolutely miserable on the set of American Hustle, which is why she is not in this movie, um, which makes sense because that is probably uh, the role that uh, Margot Robbie is playing in uh, in this one. I'm sure that would have probably gone to maybe Amy Adams or Jennifer Lawrence, even a previous collaborator in the past. Um, so I guess people who've had a taste of him don't really like to come back after a while, except Christian Bale, who is his own uh, separate entity, Lawrence. I guess. Uh, well, yeah, I guess. But I mean, she wasn't in this one. But yeah, she did she have a three straight movies, movies with, him, yeah. with him. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Robert De Niro. But yeah, but to, I mean, like I, I, Robert De Niro. But like who, what director is really going to have the balls to try and treat Robert De Niro poorly? You know, like he's kind of like a living legend. Yeah. I was gonna say that seems highly unlikely. Uh, but to get to your get 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 back to your original question about why the movie <laughs> why exists. why that's all I gotta know why, why? Fred why? <laughs> uh, because we're going to see a lot of these types of movies over the next couple of years, and I mean I guess we can go in a little bit into spoiler territory now because a lot of what the premise is isn't super apparent from the previews, and the yeah. movie doesn't exactly reveal until the last thirty minutes. Uh, so if you're fine with me kind of laying it out, I'm just going to- I really don't care if you spoil this movie. I, I, th I think it's already going to be like out of theaters by the time people listen to this, I bet. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance that might happen, yeah. Um, so what this really is, is about something uh, that uh, has uh, become known as the business plot, which is uh, why there is that disclaimer at the beginning that a lot of what happened is true, which is total bullshit because- People aren't even entirely sure whether the business plot really happened or whether that was a fictional fabrication back in those days, uh, because there was a whole bunch of paranoia uh, about American politics in the 1930s. Uh, but long story short, uh, there was this idea that a bunch of powerful industrial tycoons got together to get rid of FDR uh, and install a dictator in the White House. Um, there are reports that that might have actually been discussed in the 1930s. Again, the evidence for that is fairly slim. And I guess it makes sense that you would take this footnote in history and try to incorporate it into a movie in the 2020s for obvious reasons that American politics have gone in a direction that is pretty alarming in a lot of ways. And we've reached a point where we have to beg people to come out and vote every two years just to punt uh, our uh, movement towards fascism down the road another two years. Which is concerning, and I'm sure a lot of movies are going to tackle that in different ways, uh, whether that be incidents in history that they can use to sort of compare and contrast with what's happening today, or the more, I guess, blatant version of that, which is The Handmaid's Tale, where you just have a present day or future society that has totally gone off the cliff um, because people 
got to make the rules who really shouldn't have. And all that is to say that David O. Russell is kind of trying to make that happen in Amsterdam, where he takes some of the developments in the 1930s in this country and tries to compare them to what's happening today. Uh, but as you already mentioned, I believe, it happened so late in the movie that it just doesn't really gel with uh, what he tried for the previous 90 minutes. And it just seems well, really off for the most part. It's also, it's also kind of quaint. They probably This movie was like just probably starting to shoot from what I can tell by its shooting dates when uh, around the time that we had an actual insurrection where someone would try and say that some were trying to uh, reinstall a fascist uh, into in, at, at the, at, to lead our country. So uh, it's like it's like one of those things where like, oh, hey, what about that thing that may or may not have happened? It's cool. One of those things that David or Russell can put at the beginning of his movie like he did for American Hustle, like may or may not have happened because American Hustle was also like loosely based on true events. And now it's like. I don't know, something like a lot more uh, rock solid has happened now, and this doesn't feel like such a folktale. Um, so mm. for whatever that's worth, it's like, yeah, you're going to take your sweet time getting to this big revelation, this big juicy revelation that now like doesn't feel so like crazy and apocryphal, you know? Uh, and so you take that, take that for what, take that part of it for whatever it's worth, but it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean, and I, and I, and I hear what you're saying how it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot more of these also like, since they started shooting this like they uh or actually i take that back like the the plot against america had already come out at that point and uh but but like mm-hmm. which, yep. which i know is something you watched and wrote about a little bit in your letterbox review but like you know that that came out less than a year before they started shooting this and uh, so it, so it's kind of like uh, arguably a much more well better uh, much more focused and well done version of this kind of story where it's like here it's like i'm not saying there's not room for something that like has more varied tones and has more moments of levity and has this uh, sprawling cast and has somewhat of a mystery leading to something like that. But like, I, I, I think if you're going to like take that approach, you got to like, got to be more organized in the way you do it than he did. And uh, in such a way that it can, you know, it can feel like it actually earns that ending. And I think that, I think David O. Russell, and I'm curious how you feel about this at this point. Cause I think, I'm, I mean, I know you were kind of excited about this, Fred, and you so much so that you were like, at least somewhat optimistic, even when you saw some bad reviews and you were just like, Hey, maybe people are just a little down on David or Russell. And not that you don't think they have reason to be down on him, but maybe they were letting that color their thoughts on the movie is what kind of where I think your head was at a little bit. And it's like, I think he gets so into like having these like big cast. And I think it's like, I think it's just kind of like a problem that it's like, if everyone's going to indulge him, then he wants to figure out a way to make everyone happy and give everyone moments. And I think, there's like a version of this movie that actually probably is better where the cast is cut in half, you know, and there's like large swaths of this movie where you can cut out people that are legitimately stars. And I think it like really, really improves it. And because, because he feels the need to give out all these people, at least some moments, I think it like the movie doesn't interrogate or I don't even think interrogates the word. It doesn't spend enough time with what are more potentially interesting parts of the movie that could have like led it to like actually feeling like it was, headed towards where it was ultimately headed towards without necessarily unraveling whatever kind of like mystery he wanted to have there. I mean, do you think there's a version of this that like, where you like cut out a lot of the stars and actually like it more? Yeah. It's a kind of strange because I think there are really two movies at war with each other here. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is kind of a quirky murder mystery. And I would well actually say that's what it is for the first 30 minutes to an hour. And at that point I kept thinking, you know what? This actually isn't so bad. Like, I'm kind of vibing with this. I, I'm enjoying uh, Christian Bale's performance. Um, I like the fact that they have to find a way to convince people to vouch for them because now they're the prime suspects uh, in a murder. 
And I like those types of movies. I mean, there was one a couple of weeks ago in theaters that nobody saw called See How They Run. I saw uh, that. Which I didn't think was... Yeah, we, we, yeah I, I think you would have. But <laughs> the masses did not, no. didn't. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of thought that was fun too. It wasn't the greatest thing ever, but it also had a really fantastic cast, actually. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. And I guess I just wasn't prepared for the movie to make this massive pivot because initially it is kind of lighthearted um, and it has some amusing banter. I mean, we can get to some of the performances and the writing later because I think there are some real issues there, uh, even among the three main actors. But for the most part, you know, I was laughing every so often. Um, I thought this was headed in at least an interesting direction um, where when they kept introducing some of the characters, I thought, okay, this is kind of an interesting insight into this particular part of society, uh, some of the richer people in uh, New York that are not really accessible to those guys for the most part, but now they have to find a way into the door uh, to talk to them and see what they potentially know about this murder. So on that level, I really liked what was happening, but then you have this really dark and just kind of um, disturbing burn where you're uh, get into sterilization clinics and this like big conspiracy to just like kick out the president and uh, install uh, a military man out of all people into the White House. And I just don't think the movie takes its time to properly deal with what the implications of that are um, because there are just way too many people involved in all of it. Um, and you don't have luxury of doing this over multiple episodes like the plot against America did. The strength of that one was that it was so slow and meticulous where it kind of started with just a few things that were being changed. But then by the time you reach episode three and episode four, um, the lives of some minority families in this country have been totally upended. And you just don't have that kind of time in a movie like Amsterdam. And you have even less time when you spend the first hour or 90 minutes primarily making this a murder mystery. Yeah, and I, the, the, as you were saying that, I thought about how like it was super meticulous how it got to the point in plot against America where that where that where their kid goes to live on the farm in Tennessee, and it's like it's mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, it's like genuinely heartbreaking because like you can kind of see where it's headed all along, and uh, the, the Winona Ryder character is just like really falling for all the John, John Turturro characters guys shtick, and it's 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 like you could kind of see it coming from a mile away, but it's still so well done, um, and it's heartbreaking, and uh, and and here it's like. I, I actually like, see, I, I don't know. So with, with respect to the murder mystery thing at the start, like, I, I don't know if I even, so I actually kind of, I'm on two minds of it. Cause I was actually for a second, like kind of into it when I, with the Taylor Swift thing, who like Taylor Swift is someone I really like <laughs> as a, as a musician. I, I, I could do without her as an actress for the most part, but like, I, I, I was just like kind of impressed. Cause I was like, yeah, oh. she's not Lady Gaga. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I, but I was also like, Oh, well, this is kind of smart how they like how they because like I was like, I, I don't think she's going to be in that much of this movie. I feel like I would have heard that. But like I, I was like, she wasn't like distractingly bad in her performance. And it was such like, oh, I kind of get why they would cast her like that, because then the moment where she's not around anymore, it's like a it's like a surprise because you're probably expecting more than what you got when you get someone that's as in demand as Taylor Swift to show up on your film set. Uh, so I was like, that's kind of smart. But at the same time, I never really felt like they were in any danger of like actually getting in trouble. Um, or like, or anything for like being wanted. I was like, I don't know if I so much needed that. And I also thought like, you know, 
I don't, the, one of the bigger problems for me was, and it, I, it maybe ties somewhat into these, those three main performances who, um, I, I think they have, ver- they have their own varying degrees of effectiveness, but I think it goes more in the writing that it's like, I don't fully understand why Harold and Burton are that close of friends. I get it. Like they, they, they served in this mixed infantry, uh, which I'm sure was like for guys that weren't racist. I'm sure that was like a somewhat rewarding experience. And if, if they, for, for whoever that actually happened for, but like, even with those scenes when I should also note, it's kind of funny. You've done all these world war one movies and this is like incredibly also reminiscent of you doing the goldfinch podcast when that movie was shot by Roger Deakins and was just awful. And this one shot by Emmanuel was Becky and uh, yeah. And like, it's, it's, it's reminiscent of you doing that with me a couple of, uh, wait, that might've been a, that, that, yeah, the God, that was pre COVID, I guess that was 2019 movie. Um, But yeah, like, but like, it's, it's, it's just funny how like, uh, you know, that, that part of the movie looks really great. And, uh, I think the performances are like in, in isolation are fun, but like, I don't totally buy that. There's really like any real meaningful bond between Bert and Harold. I feel like we're just told that and I don't really feel like a huge romantic connection between John David Washington and Marta Robbie. So it's like, I, th- I mean, and maybe, maybe like, so maybe to some extent, it's just the performances that are holding back that chemistry, but it's also could just be like, we didn't get enough time with them. And I don't care that the movie's called Amsterdam and they're not in Amsterdam for that long. I, that, that doesn't bother me, but it's like, you probably need a more time in that Amsterdam corner of the movie for you to really connect with those characters. And there's like so much other extraneous stuff that you just didn't need in the rest of this movie that would have like actually made like the, these three characters that are supposed to be the heart of the movie, like really connect with the audience. And I think that's like really at its core, its biggest problem. Like I think you could get rid of the entire, I mean, Rami Malek and uh, Annie Taylor joy, a- every scene involving them. I think it could have just done without. She doesn't need to be related to them. Uh, Valerie doesn't need to be related to them. She can come back into the story some other way if you got to have her. But like, I, I just, I, they really were added very little value. Uh, it's also like, also, also a common theme now with our podcast, like Rami Malek being in a different movie from everyone else. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, he's not bringing anything to this movie. And it's like, I just think it's like a, David O. Russell does not understanding like what was really important to making this thing work, you know? Yeah, when was the last time Rami Malek has given a genuinely good performance? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think he's bad in Bohemian Rhapsody. That's just a mo- movie that didn't deserve Yeah, no, that's, every, a, that's every, a fine performance, yeah. Right, it, it, it's just he shouldn't have won the Oscar ahead of uh, Bradley Cooper, and that movie, like, did not deserve, like, all of the Oscars. But, like, he's not, he's, he's like, the least of its problems, I would say, probably. Um, but, like, for the most part, yeah, like, he's, 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 he's very weird choices he makes in movies, you know, so. Yeah, so there are a couple of things you mentioned that I think are worth addressing here. So the first thing is Christian Bale's and John David Washington's uh, relationship it didn't really bother me because I think that there is always some kind of shorthand you can use there when you've served in wars, wars together. They were both injured. They spent time in the hospital together, and then they recuperated together afterwards. So I think that you can kind of fill in the blanks by yourself almost and thinking okay and then they came back together to the states um bird made his living over there taking care of a lot of wounded war veterans who nobody else wanted to treat um he's been spending the last decade uh, repairing people's disfigured faces and body parts um and i feel like that there is enough like common history there to paper over some of those deficiencies in their uh in the building of their relationship uh, I think the bigger problem is, and this kind of plays into the second thing you said, I think John David Washington is just kind of sleepwalking through his performance here, uh, which in part also uh, creates issues with uh, the supposed romance with the Margot Robbie character. Um, yeah, the truth is there is just no chemistry whatsoever between the two, and that creates a huge problem later in the movie where 
you're supposed to believe that they would be star-crossed lovers uh, who spend time together in Amsterdam. And then when they reunite after a decade, it's just, oh my God, why did we never catch up? Why did we never write letters to each other? I missed you so much. I didn't buy any of that. There just isn't really any of that genuine emotion there that you need to make us buy into that relationship and some of the choices the two of them make towards the end of the movie. Um, and that's kind of strange because that's the second time that's happened to him now after Tenet, which is a movie I know I like a lot better than you do, but that still isn't much of a performance that he gives there. And after, Yeah, the, the, Robert, Robert, Pattinson, kind of, Robert Pattinson kind of almost steals the movie from him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like you're kind of in an awkward position when you have a movie with this many stars where you're kind of fighting over real estate almost because everybody only has a few minutes to really uh, stick their claim and leave their mark on this movie. But he's in it for a lot. And I would say he is by far the most forgettable aspect of it, especially because Christian Bale is just doing his Christian Bale shtick. And he's pretty good at it. So he's Yeah, I actually really like Christian Bale in this movie. Character here. <laughs> say i mean the weird thing is i feel like he's been in two duts this year i didn't really like thor that much either but again i thought his performance in this was, was pretty good i just thought it wasn't particularly well suited for the movie that taika waititi made and that's kind of the issue i think i have with christian bale in general i think he always shows up and gives 110 percent uh i'm just not totally on board with his role choices over the past couple of years uh dating all the way back to vice yeah, I, I I don't mind him in Vice. Like it's, but it, I don't mind him in Vice. But it's like weird. Like I, 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 I had the thought while watching this that like, and sometimes yeah, I don't I don't dispute that he always gives like you said one hundred and ten percent. But sometimes I just think he does it like while acting in a different movie than the one he's in, or just like I don't know. If, like I, he wasn't like he got nominated for the Oscar for the Big Short, and like if someone was gonna get nominated in the Big Short for Best Supporting Actor, my choice would have been Steve Carell. I just like I liked what he was doing in that movie more, and it felt. It, it, it just felt like he was more engaged with the story and I get it. Like, I think Bale was playing someone that was someone on the spectrum and was like locked in a room by himself the whole movie, but like, it, it felt a little too relying too much on mannerisms and not as, and not as interesting to me. He wasn't acting against people in an interesting way. And, uh, and it, it's like kind of the same thing. Like he's, he's one of those guys where he's just like, I don't know how method he is exactly, but it's like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't always, it just doesn't always like work for me when he's doing it. And, and, and in some ways like this, and I think this is like, I, I, from what I've read, like the, um, his character here is like one of the more, one of the creations, like it's definitely not based on anyone that's actually real. And it felt like one of the most human performances I've seen him give in a long time. And, you know, and I, I, I believe you did, I forgot, did you do the podcast with me on Ford versus Ferrari? Um, and yes, he, he, he was in that, that was and like, that was a good yeah. movie, but like, he wasn't like, he was just kind of the cool as a cucumber driver, you know, I don't, from what I recall, it wasn't like asking as much of him as I think this movie does. This is just like a much worse movie, but like, I'm still like kind of enjoying what he's doing and I'm connecting with him more as a person than just about anyone else in here, even though he's just like a, he's just kind of like playing this, creating this doctor that just has his eye fall out every 10 minutes. But like, I, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed him. I, I just enjoyed his presence. Whereas like, he sometimes like grates on me a little bit and like, far better movies than this it was, it's just very strange it's a waste of waste of his talents i think you know yeah and i think his personality is also just more fleshed out than uh mm -hmm. that of his two co-stars i mean he has this really weird thing going on with his wife who is from a really well-off family and uh they don't really spend a ton of time together anymore but he tries to get back into her good graces every so often uh and we see that she's really just a super manipulative yet just awful person who has a bit of a fetish for his war wounds Played by so, Andrea Riseborough. A lot of like, 
yeah, just another big name that you can tag on to the dozen or so that show up throughout this movie. Um, and, and I mean, you can say what you want about whether those scenes really add value, but at the very least, they flesh out who he is and what sort of drives his insecurities and his backstory. You don't really get any of that, John David Washington's character. And I'm not super sure if I like some of the stuff that they did with the Margot Robbie character, because that, again, involves a lot of what uh, Rami Malek and Anya Taylor-Joy are doing in here. And it's like you said, except for what sort of happens during the last 15, 20 minutes, they're not really all that vital to what is going on. And I think even some of the stuff that happens with them, you could have easily passed on to other characters. Yeah, like, so... Yeah, and I, I, in, in some of the stuff you're talking about with the John David Washington thing, like being in Margot Ruby being underwritten, uh, like that can be overcome if like the performance like carries carries the day anyway. And it, and it just didn't with him. It probably does so a little more with Margot Robbie because she's just, I think, a more charismatic actor than he is generally. But like, I think John David Washington like has it in him to be more charismatic, like you, you know, like in Black Klansman or even Ballers, which is not a good TV show, but he was like the probably one of the better parts of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, for whatever reason, it, he just like, what he, I mean, some of that might fall on David or Russell for not giving him better direction on how oh, to like, sure. kind of, kind of play oh, his sure. script. And maybe he, maybe, maybe he was like given some kind of like instruction on like what that guy's demeanor should be. It just, it just didn't seem to fit with like this, the rest of this kooky movie that we were watching. And I, and, and I also get what you're saying right there about how, like a lot of the ways that like, you know, Margot Robbie was, again, I, I, I mean, I like her and she's brings some like base level of charisma to all this stuff, but like they ultimately tie her down to like what feels like a non-essential part of the movie. Like, I mean, we haven't even really gotten that far into the, the, how the, the movie actually depicts the conspiracy. I don't think like, I think you can still get your message in there about like, about, about the, about the, these dangers of like fascism, racism, all of that stuff without even really putting that much of a face to it necessarily. Cause when just while you're watching these people, like kind of investigate it, like, I think they wanted to like have that revelation about Rami Malek's character just to like, kind of like give them kind of like have a result of a whodunit mystery in a way. It's like, Oh, it can be someone that was there all along. And it's like, I, I think you can kind of have like them investigating stuff, kind of like leading them to this. And then it's like, Oh, it's a bunch of like rich dudes that are just trying to, like you know do this thing and capitalism is bad and like i think there's a way that works and you, the movie can just be a lot more a lot more streamlined and i think you mentioned the sterilization clinic thing earlier and i it just feels so tacked on in a way that like wasn't thought out like i actually kind of between both that and also i think that could have been a bigger part of their investigation and you probably could have worked the zoe's saldana character in with with that a little bit too because she just is just like randomly in it but like i think I've seen other people say, and I thought too, that like, she was actually like really good and kind of enjoyed her chemistry with Christian Bale. And it's just like, he's not there enough. And it's like, yeah, I think if you just get rid of like the Anya Taylor joy and Rami Malek stuff, and even maybe a little bit, those detectives are there a little bit more than they need to be, even if they are good for a few, a couple of laughs, like you can really cut down on that stuff and like have more of this be like, Oh, okay. So how does the sterilization clinic tie into the, the plot that these fascists are with? And like, there's something there where you can just like see a more clear mystery as opposed to this thing, which is just all over the place. And I think like th there were ingredients here for it to be better. You know, I just, I see him, I see what it looks like. Yeah. I think he just uh, kind of shoots off in too many different directions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a problem when again, you only have two hours to work with. And I think mm -hmm. there is definitely a more simplified version of this that, that you kind of alluded to already where, you don't really need this big payoff with one of the characters that we've gotten to know. All you really need is uh, those rich industrial dudes in the room uh, and them pulling the strings because we all know people like that. 
not back in the 1930s, but today, um, the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musks of the world, uh, people who've just amassed so much power that even though they're not strictly speaking in politics, uh, that they control the purse strings and that they have the ability to make a lot of things happen even, without or, holding an elected office. Or, or even other rich finance guys that like you and I might not like know by name, but we know there are guys like that that are just like have a lot of money that like have way too much say in how the country's run. You don't necessarily yeah. even need to put a face with those names. And that's really, I think, the ultimate issue with this movie. There are a lot of problems uh, in terms of the minutia that it gets wrong. But I think really the big problem is, and especially as someone who has liked uh, the other David O. Russell movies uh, that I've seen, which aren't a ton, actually. I've only seen uh, three of them, uh, some of his later stuff. Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter, and American Hustle. You're not um, missing out on much he, from Joy. You should watch Three Kings, though. And I can't speak to this. Um, I have that on the list. I've never actually seen Boarding with Disaster or Spanking the Monkey, which are like two of his earliest ones, and which apparently people like a lot. So I'm not, I can't claim to be a completist either, but I think you could find a couple others in there that you would enjoy. I heard Huckabee's never really did it for me. Um, I, it, yeah. It's not, not my thing. Yeah, and I think he did a pretty good job in those three movies of addressing some really intriguing themes about the darker American underbelly that people often one to ignore when they talk about all of the great virtues of this country. The Fighter, which I only saw recently, has some really interesting aspects about athletes getting taken advantage of by their families uh, and people who are managing and promoting them, um, who might not have their best interests at heart, which is something that we can definitely uh, relate to. Uh, just look at what happened with Tua a couple of weeks ago in the Dolphins mm -hmm. game. Like, guy getting bad advice uh, from the people who manage him uh, or the people who want to profit off of him. Or American Hustle, for example, I thought that one had a really interesting component about people with good intentions working around the system and politics, um, usually getting punished, while people who work around the system with bad intentions uh, tend to succeed, which I thought was kind of a really interesting angle that they took with the Jeremy Renner character yeah, in that yeah, movie. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of really interesting subtext in there that doesn't really seem super obvious on the surface, but once you kind of evaluate and think about it, uh, he has some interesting thoughts about the direction this country is headed in that we may want to take a longer look at. Uh, but this is just ham-fisted what, what he does here in Amsterdam. There's just too much going on that doesn't really tie neatly together in the end, and it just keeps hitting you over the head with its message in ways that I think he's too good of a screenwriter in his moments uh, to get away with. Yeah. Well, I did like how, I mean, again, it is, I guess it is kind of on the nose really for like what's going on today, but like, I did like how even at the end, he like took the time to make it clear that those, well, it's funny. You're making the comment about like people like working around in politics with bad intentions, uh, you know, like, or like, you know, things not going well here, here it doesn't necessarily work out for those guys, but like he makes it clear they're not going to suffer any consequences, which I, which I, which I did actually kind of appreciate that they like managed to like get that in there at the end. But um, at the same, at, at the same time, it's like, I don't know, there, 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 there just would have been ways to explore those systems. Like I was talking about earlier without like, I get it. Like they, he wanted this reveal of the conspiracy, but like, it's just, it's weird to like aspire to a movie about that, but then just like, not because I, I i get it like he clearly had something in mind that he wanted to get to at the end it just seems like there was this like no thought put into how to get there it's just very very strange i i, I don't i don't really even know what, what what 
how much more I have to say about it. Like, I, I mean, we, we didn't really talk that much about the, actually, we didn't really talk that much about like the, the detective side of the movie yet. Like, I mean, it, it seems like you probably agree that a lot of this stuff was superfluous, but like, you can't help but like not mention that like Mike Myers is in this movie. Like Mike, like it's just like his mere presence in a movie is just like perplexing these days. Cause like we see him so infrequently, but he and Michael Shannon are there. We kind of mentioned my Matthias Schoenarts and Alexander Navola. Like, did you find so about the other font? We haven't mentioned him either yet. Yeah, who's like one of the main villains, but like is under like a ton of prosthetics and like just kind of pops up randomly throughout the movie. And like, yeah. it's not really clear exactly how, like, I guess he, we know he's supposed to be operating for some of the, you know, the bigger bads in this thing, but it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just very oddly the way, whenever he pops up, it just, it happens like very oddly out of nowhere. Uh, w- w- did you have any other like big takeaways we didn't already touch on through like those parts of the movie, which again, you know, like I was saying, there's a way to like have this mystery here, but like there's so many different characters you could have also just like chopped. Chris Rock is in it too, by the way. Yeah, what what is that? About him. What is what is that? He's yeah. like, just like someone that works at the funeral home. Did he just like want to be able to say he was in a David O. Russell movie? I didn't get that. He didn't, at least it didn't take up that much time, but it's just like it's why 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 does it have to be Chris Rock? I don't get it. Because he's the guy who spells out the message that uh of course, because you have a white guy in a coffin, uh Oh, the black yeah. guys are going to get into trouble for that. And again, like that, that is fair. Like that is, there is some commentary in this movie that is very appropriate about people. I mean, people of color back in those days, today, of course, as well, uh, getting into trouble just because uh, they find themselves in situations that aren't their fault, but that people kind of just interpret uh to their disadvantage, I suppose. And yeah, I mean, that is accurate, but you don't need a character played by Chris Rock who is simply in this movie just for the reason to keep spelling that out. Because that's all his role. That's his involvement in here, just to keep spelling it out and to keep making that same joke over and over again. You got to trust the audience to figure that out. Yeah, especially in a movie that tries to address so many different themes. Again, we also talked about uh, the two police officers who keep showing up who are pretty incompetent and corrupt. I mean, he, the Matthias Schoenaut's character um, he backs off because he gets some uh, medication from Bird. And I mean, again, there's also commentary here about, you know, like you can just basically pay off uh, police guys uh, to get them off your back. And there's just so much stuff in these two hours. I mean, which is kind of why it was kind of weird. The guy who was sitting next to me in the movie theater, and it was actually a pretty busy showing. Um, yeah, I saw you said you got a sold out showing for this, huh? More or less, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the guy next to me just kept falling asleep and he was snoring really loudly, uh, which is kind of weird because the movie has a lot of issues, but there's just way too much happening, I think, for it to ever get truly boring. That is not really one of its faults, I would say. It's not boring, but I can but see how you could, ch- I, I could, I could see how someone might check out, you know, at the same time when yeah. it's like, what, what, what is even going on here? Like, I don't know what, 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 why these characters are doing this thing right now because the movie hasn't really like, really cared to like actually explain any of this in a coherent way i can get why you might just like lose a little bit of interest more so than becoming bored and maybe that just like let lead, lead your mind to wonder to other things and then you fall asleep i don't think you should fall asleep just from trying just if you're solely focused on what's on the screen here though yeah no that is fair but um yeah i guess the other thing is like towards the end where you um have the Robert De Niro character giving his big speech. And he is apparently based on a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, real they general, changed yeah. the name, but right. Like during the credits, you actually see some video footage where he's giving his testimony uh, and it's word for word uh, what the Robert De Niro character says at oh. one point. And it's sort of intriguing because I think 
this, there are some real life parallels. Um, I was genuinely curious where this was all going to be headed once he starts giving that speech. I mean, I figured there was probably going to be some kind of assassination attempt. But then the movie does something very strange. You have this mixture of, on one hand, it's obviously very serious what is happening, but it's still super campy. There's that scene where you have a bunch of brown shirts in the audience and they kind of get into this like weird shouting match with the rest of the people who are like pro-democracy. <laughs> uh, you also have Margot Robbie imagining uh, shooting Rami Malek. Uh, and yes. then we find out after 30 seconds, one minute that she only just pictured uh, doing that as opposed yeah. to actually doing it. There's so many just strange and bizarre things that happened during the last 10, 15 minutes. That, I mean, the movie had already kind of gone off the rails at that point, but that just sort of yeah. amplified that this just wasn't fully thought through. And when you try, and when you bungle your ending like that, you don't really have a chance of people walking out of the movie thinking, okay, you know what? There were actually some decent things about this. It wasn't that bad. Uh, if you leave them on a final note that is just this chaotic, people are just going to walk out thinking, what the fuck did well, we just yeah. watch here? And I'm not really sure how you how you don't bungle the ending though when you've already already bungled everything that came before that. I don't know, like, yeah. and like, I, 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 a couple critics I, I trust, like, kind of felt like the ending made everything else click into place for them. I, I don't really agree with that. I think it's like, yeah. there's a, ver there's a, ver there's a slightly different version of this ending that's not as chaotic as the one you just described, where it works because the rest of the movie, like, builds towards it much more effectively than this one did. And just don't really think that, just don't really think it managed to do that. Um, I'm trying to think, there's any there, there are few other there are a few other bullet points I had there. We, I, I kind of already talked about the 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 look of the movie. Emmanuel was back. He did, he did he did what he set out to do really well. I do think the movie like kind of looks great. So it just it just feels like something else that's wasted on top of the cast. You know, um, I don't know. Is there, are there any other any other final thoughts you had on Amsterdam, Fred? Things we didn't talk about yet that you want to touch on? Yeah, it's just a bummer. I mean, I thought that, uh, they, uh, yeah, I mean, there used to be a time when a new David Russell movie was something to get excited about. Um, and it just wasn't this time around. And again, I think that there is real value to movies like this that try to put our current trends into perspective and attempt to paint a picture of the historical context or the political trends that we are seeing that could lead us down a very dangerous path. I think there is a world in which movies like that are needed and important, just not when they're done this badly. Is there, and mean, that's an unfortunate trendsetter. I guess the good news is a lot of people aren't going to see it. So it's not really going to poison the well in that sense. I'd, I'd, I'd also but still, argue I think that also, was a real squandered opportunity here. Yeah, I'd also argue it's kind of bad news. People aren't going to see it because it, it could just, just it could just dissuade more people from giving more deserving directors this level of budget. But you know, it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I I don't really have any other like final thoughts myself. Again, it's a bummer. Like I I mean, I really feel like there was only like cause, I mean, I wasn't really old enough to like. I think I did see the fighter in theaters actually. So like, I don't really know if I when I saw Silver Linings Playbook though, that was before I got really into movies. And so I think I was just kind of like, uh, I was like, oh, that stuff has it has stuff about Philadelphia in it. I guess I'll see it. It's I I wasn't as into movies, but I was as into stuff that I was very into stuff at that point that like that was getting nominated for Oscars, and I think I knew that it had a chance, so I saw it. So it's like th then I really kind of did know who David R. Russell was, so I was like very very excited about American Hustle, which I did enjoy. And then like Joy was like a big disappointment. So it's really been like we're going on close to ten years since he like made a movie I like I really really liked, and it might be a while before we see another one of them unless he's willing to like 
work at a much like lower scale and maybe he does something, but like, I think he's got a, I think he's got a little bit of a tough road ahead of him. Fred, anything else you want to recommend that you've been watching recently? We haven't talked to you in a while, but I'm sure you've been watching stuff. I have. Um, so this is not really something that I need to recommend or at least need to make people aware of because everybody's heard of it. Um, but I've decided I'm going to make it a point to recommend it because a lot of people have said some really bad things about it. Uh, that's the Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon right now, which I'm really enjoying. Um, I thought it started very well. Then some of the episodes were a little slow, but it's definitely building towards something because they've essentially decided that this is going to get five seasons and they're not really going to cancel it. I I did not. I mean, I I haven't watched the show. I didn't know that that kind of business decision it had made, though. Yeah, so they can basically afford at this point to take their time with it. And that's what they're doing. They're there's no real need to rush through a lot of the character development and setting up this world. A, because people are sort of familiar with it already, and B, because they have all this time to really uh, flesh it out over the next Which is probably what years. they should be doing on House of Dragon right now. Yeah, so I just found out recently that apparently this whole saga is just going to cover one season. It's meant mm. to be a bit of an anthology show, and then the next season is going mm. to cover a totally different aspect of that family which I didn't know until recently. And I just thought they were going through all of these storylines super fast. And I didn't understand why, because they just kept killing people off left and right that we hadn't really gotten a chance to fully interact with. But of course, if you only have one season to flesh out that particular saga, then yeah, that makes sense. Uh, But I, again, I just want to give Lord of the Rings a shout out because a lot of people made it a point to trash it before it even came out because uh, they didn't agree with the casting or they just weren't happy by the fact that Amazon was the one releasing uh, the TV show because there are some really unfortunate things, of course, uh, that are going on at that company in terms of how they treat their workers. And all of that is fair. But as somebody who really enjoys uh, the particular world that Lord of the Rings is set in, um, and somebody who's watched a lot of fantasy shows over the last couple of years, I really do admire the ambition of this one. It's also a lot less cynical than Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, which is just so violent and always about people making awful decisions and treating each other horribly, which is not what Lord of the Rings is really about. So it's still pretty dark in a lot of ways, of course, because if you know the story of Lord of the Rings, you know that there is this evil sorcerer who tries to take over Middle-earth, yada, yada, yada. But people are actually nice to each other in that show from time to time. And that is kind of refreshing when you've mm-hmm. primarily uh, been introduced to the Targaryen and Lannister way of seeing the world uh, mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. Uh, so I just want to make sure that I do give that one a shout out. Um, other than that, um, yeah, I've really just been watching the stuff that everybody else has been watching. Andor is on Disney Plus now. Uh, yeah, Rogue I, one I, prequel. Actually, I actually set out the last two the Star Wars shows. I did not watch Obi-Wan. I did not watch Boba Fett. Uh, but like enough people, I enough people I trust, like were like said good things about Andor and like and everyone that's like episode three is where it really gets going. They they aren't lying. Episode three of Andor is incredible. I've not watched four or five yet. Um, but like I I definitely like highly recommend that as well. The only other thing I'd recommend today, and I I, I appreciate the the impassioned plea for people to watch Ring of Power. I I don't know if I've ever told you this. I'm just not a Tolkien guy because when I saw Fellowship of the Ring when I was in fifth grade with my family, it gave me nightmares, and like I crawled into bed with my parents that night, and I've never never given another second I to that stuff. It. Um, like I I'm sure I could probably find some value in it. It's like very daunting to like find time to go back and like watch those movies again at this point it's like maybe that's just my one big pop culture blind spot everyone has them i don't know maybe someday i'll do it but like 
I'm sure like, I mean, if I do it, then I'm like, it'll probably take me even longer to watch rings of power. Cause at that point, like, it'll be like four seasons of it built up. I don't know. But like, I, I, I people, enough people I trust have like said good things about it that I, I, I don't doubt your judgment on that one. Uh, only other thing I'm going to recommend for the moment. Cause like, I'm, I can't remember what I've recommended recently and what I haven't, or there's a couple TV things I've just started. So I don't want to like give a full on recommendation to him yet, but I'll say uh, yesterday with our, with our friend and um, friend of the pod, Kayla, I saw Lyle, Lyle crocodile, which was just delightful. It is exactly what you think it's going to be. So if you see that trailer and you're like, not for me, then probably not for you. But if you're like, Hey, that looks fun. Yes. I can tell you it is fun and you should see it. We saw, I mean, I saw it in a, obviously it was, Kayla and I, a 30 year old and a 31 year old in a theater with probably a lot of parents and kids. And that was it. And we just had a grand old time by ourselves sitting there and laughing, watching this, like seeing crocodile that was wearing Florida Gators apparel and, uh, watching Harvey. Did you, uh, represent, did you guys represent wearing a Gator apparel when you saw it or? Yeah, because I, because I, I just been, I just been at the Gator bar in downtown West Palm watching the Gator game earlier that day. So I was still wearing my orange, um, my, my, my Gator, my orange, uh, Gator jump man polo. So I, I, I went in with the team colors. Uh, and it is, it is just a fun time and wacky in all the right ways. And, uh, yeah, so everyone go support wow, wow, crocodile, just a delightful, fun old time. Uh, Fred, before we get out of here, uh, speaking of, else? yeah. Speaking of going to Italy, one more thing I want to recommend because I was a huge fan of the first season. The second season of the white Lotus comes out on October 30th, uh, which yeah. is in fact set in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a really cool cast. Uh, yeah. Trailer just dropped. Hitters, uh, Yep, Aubrey Plaza's going to be in it, uh, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Michael Imperioli, uh, I believe Haley Lou Richardson is in it as well. So just a couple of actors. Jennifer, Jennifer Coolidge coming back. back. One person coming back. Coming back, absolutely, uh, who was uh, the MVP of the first season and I believe just won an Emmy for her role. So obviously that's coming out in a few weeks, so I haven't seen uh, any of the second season yet, but I'm super excited for it. Uh, if people haven't had a chance to see, see the first season, highly recommend it. Uh, it is on HBO Max. Uh, just won a whole bunch of Emmys. And only six um, episodes, so plenty of yeah. time to catch up. Not that you need to, because it's kind of an anthology thing, but yes. But yes, that is another recommendation that I highly encourage people to check out. There you go. Fred, uh, want to pull your letterbox or anything else before we get out of here? Yes, please do follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, username there is uh, just Fred Kolb, F-R-E-D-K-O-L-B. Um, and then if you do want to follow me on Twitter, I don't really use it that much, but uh, I do occasionally like and retweet stuff uh, about college football. Uh, so if you are uh, a, a Texas A&M fan or an Iowa mm-hmm. fan, um, which uh, I do not envy you, uh, then I will occasionally post content about that. Uh, so yeah, do give me a follow on Twitter if you want, at uh, Fred the German. There you go. As usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast uh, email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Podcast Twitter is at rewindmoviepod. Coming up next on the podcast, I will probably be posting something on The Woman King and or Bros. I'm I know I'm recording one of the Woman King before I go on my vacation. I'm hoping to squeeze one in on Bros, which I would actually I'd also recommend Bros because I, I I found that movie delightful and it didn't really do so well. But out of the out of this and Amsterdam being two two studio movies that flopped in the last two weeks, Bros is the one that actually deserved your support. So um, everyone, <laughs> I, I hope to have episodes on both again that and Woman King also coming up soon. So uh, as usual, thanks to Fred for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time.